Hey everyone, this is Jackie Cooper from J. Cooper Travels and I want to invite you to listen to um, this little bit of information. Um, I Today I wanted to talk to you about something that's dear uh, to, and close to my heart uh, because I am an attorney even though I'm not actively practicing right now in the traditional way. I am doing um, consulting on a variety of, of topic areas from special ed, to cryptocurrency, to business consulting. And in doing all that, I realized that many of the individuals that I was speaking to um, did not have the basics in place. They did not have a will. They did not have an estate plan in place. They did not have some of the documents that they needed for their small business. Um, they also... Um, again, had they were either single or had a family and and they also struggled with identity theft uh, situations. So I've been encountering as I've been doing J. Cooper travels, a lot of different scenarios. And I realized that as a lawyer, I'm actively licensed in one state, but I really am meeting clients from around the world. And I really wanted to support them in what they were doing. So recently I became involved with a company called Legal Shield, and the link will be um, below in the podcast. Um, so that way you can check out the packages. The packages are really affordable. You can they're smart, they're simple, the they protect your family, your business, and your personal identity. If you're buying a cup of coffee or tea from Starbucks every day, you can definitely afford um, this Legal Shield plan. With Legal Shield, they also have uh, supplements for gun owners, for a trial defense, for a home business, for ride shares. Um, these packages uh, provide adv advice and consultation, letters and calls, document review. You can get access to professional consultations, letters and calls, 24-7 uh, emergency access. Um, the plan is definitely, um, again, can fit all of your various needs. So my um, request is that you definitely check this out. Just like having health insurance, which we all need in case of an emergency, um, and just in case you know we travel. I, for those that have listened to me, I always say don't travel without travel insurance because the unexpected happens. The same thing I would recommend on the Legal Shield side because all of us need a will. All of us need the basics um, plan in place. So that way when the unexpected happens um, at a time that we might not have planned for it, um, our family and we are set to go in terms of having um, a medical power of attorney or anything else that we might need. So again, really quick, Legal Shield. I am an associate. I definitely, um, in this situation, you know, am highly recommending this for you to just check it out. My link is below and feel free to reach out to me so that way I can support you in all your needs. And if you decide that you would also like to be featured on J. Cooper Travels as uh, one of the stories being shared, definitely reach out to me. I'm open to meeting new people. Legal Shield is available in all 50 states in the Canada as well as in the UK. So it is very broad and again, it is, um, a comprehensive 
very affordable package that can start at $24.95 a month, um, which is really, really reasonable considering that you have um, almost unlimited access to your personal attorney that gets assigned to you. So have a great day and I look forward to um, seeing you like and subscribe and joining more of the conversations on J. Cooper Travels. Have a great one. Bye. Hi everyone, this is Jackie Cooper with J. Cooper Travels and I wanna welcome everyone to listening and remind everyone also to like and subscribe because we have many episodes coming up that will be of interest to you. Today, I have a really special guest um, who is in an industry that is just booming right now and I'm gonna have him introduce himself. I know I um, connected with him on LinkedIn and many of my uh, network is actually alignable, I think it was. Um, my mistake, it was alignable. Um, but I know that he's also on LinkedIn and other social media. And um, I think everyone's going to have a real interest in um, our conversation today. For those that um, uh, are not familiar with Jacob for Travels, let me just give a, a quick intro as to who I am and how we came to be. Um, I, my background is that I'm an attorney, but I navigated over to the special education teaching side because I love working with kids and I love being of service in many different uh, ways. And I'm also a serial entrepreneur. I love to travel. And so I'm a certified travel uh, consultant. Um, but, you know, as many know, COVID happened last year. So travel sort of stopped. So I rebranded J. Cooper Travel. So it's now more about stories of individuals and businesses and how do we travel on life? And that includes how do we stay well? How do we um, travel, you know, personally, professionally, and just all around? So uh, today's conversation is about an industry that uh, at one point was not legal, but now it's it is legal. There are many laws, both at the state level, both at the federal level. And um, we're going to be talking about CBDs and a lot of other um, parts of this industry. Um, ben, thank you so much for being here. I'm going to have you introduce yourself and explain more about the company that you're working with and how you actually became involved in this very interesting area. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the cannabis industry is interesting. It's very, very interesting. Um, let me start out by, well, first off, I'm the, the vice president of business operations at a third party testing lab that caters specifically to the hemp and CBD industries and is now expanding into the medicinal and recreational marijuana industries. And um, what we're called premium CBD labs. And uh, we're partnered with a, a lab in Michigan called Abco Labs, um, two amazing labs that are run by great scientific group of people. Um, they focus on accuracy, reliability, um, and a lot of really great customer service, but really focusing on the science of, of what we can do to ensure that uh, what's labeled out there is labeled correctly uh, so that people have good, accurate information as to how much THC or CBD is in, is in their products, as well as making sure that those products don't contain things like mercury and lead and uh, pesticides and residual solvents and microbial contamination and mycotoxin remnants and things like that, that are not good for your body. Um, 
so people are using this as medicine and it should be uh, should be as safe as medicine. Although some might argue that a lot of medicines aren't safe. So anyway, that's that's what our lab does. Um, and we um, we work with a number of, of hemp and cannabis growers, as well as processors, producers, shops that sell it, um, consultants, seed you know, seed suppliers, manufacturers of all types. Um, how did I get into this? Right. So I have uh, I, I have not worked in a lab before. I should tell you that. And that's why I'm on the business side of this. I'm not, I'm not in the lab uh, operating the, the, the instruments and making the measurements. Uh, there are people with much higher degrees of education than I have that handle those kinds of things. Um, I'm on the business side um, and on the, the sales and marketing and, and, and doing the, the operations of, of what we do. Uh, and I really, honest to God, fell into this. Uh, I was working f- doing consulting for uh, Native American tribes, helping them set up long-term sustainable services for their elderly. And a friend of a friend was starting a, a testing lab and said he needed some help with you know, business administration and sales and whatnot. And I said, sure, why not? I've done that for a number of years. Um, so I had a background in marketing and uh, in sales and um, in motion pictures and a lot of other things that relate to that. I actually have a degree in cinema doesn't relate to this at all <laughs> in any capacity um, but so that's 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 kind of how I fell into it I started out doing business development for the company and two years later I'm a vice president so here I am that's that's me that's how I got here and that's what I do so um, you've defined or you've shared a lot of different terms so for those that might be totally new to this area what is hemp what what are all the different things that you've mentioned I know that as I've gone gone from the law to the special education to other career paths there's lingo and language that we use and we become very comfortable with but for those that are new to this can you define some of the basic terms so people who are new will understand a little bit more absolutely and if you hear some traffic noise in the background i live on a busy street so uh you might hear some reggaeton outside or something i'm sorry um so uh yes i can absolutely define some of those terms uh there's one plant it's cannabis that's the plant there's marijuana and there's hemp so uh there's laws that really govern what that delineation is and the law states that if it has below 0.3 not three 0.3 percent thc then it's hemp if it's above that threshold it's marijuana and it's arbitrary and meaningless because at 0.32%, you're not going to get high. And even at 1%, you're not going to get high. I mean, like it, it is absolutely arbitrary. Um, but that's the delineation. Um, different states have different laws regarding uh, and regulations regarding the, the cultivation of hemp and also the cultivation of marijuana, whether one's legal and the other one's not. There are some states that don't allow any hemp in their state still. A couple of them, they're stalwarts, but uh, there, there are a number of states that have adopted at least medicinal marijuana laws as well as recreational or adult use laws. Um, I live in Illinois. Uh, we have a partner lab in Michigan and our main lab, which focuses on hemp and CBD, is in Madison, Wisconsin, which only has hemp, uh, does not have medicinal or, or, or adult use marijuana yet. 
so I know that individuals might want to use your um, business, but I also know corporations might want to use your business. So there are a lot of different products that businesses are creating right now. So what do you test and and what do you provide to the businesses um, as feedback or, you know, what they send you um, a product, um, what happens next? So, um, so let's say Joe Farmer is growing a bunch of hemp in his field. And in order for him to be able to sell that hemp to consumers or manufacturers or anything like that, in order for it to be, in order for it to come off of his field, and for him to be able to sell it in any capacity, it has to pass that that THC percentage threshold. So if it's hemp, it needs to be below 0.3% THC. So a lot of growers will use our services to monitor their crop throughout the growing season to make sure that they don't grow hot hemp. Um, even if they do, there's a chance for remediation for them through the USDA's rules, but um, most of the time they really don't want to hit that level because then they'd have to go through extra steps and spend a lot more money to re either remediate or they lose their crop. They, they have to destroy it. So we work with a lot of farmers and a lot of growers. Um, there are a lot of processors who are making CBD gummies and tinctures and oils and salves and what have you, bath bombs, kinesiology tape dietary supplement pills, uh, any number of things. There are even CBD candles. I don't know why burning a CBD candle is going to do anything for you, but hey, I also don't know why a bath bomb would do anything for you. You're sitting there in 10 gallons of water. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what good 10 milligrams or 100 milligrams of CBD in 10 gallons of water is going to do for you, but people will make it. Um, and, and so we have to test it. Um, so that's thing one. A number of states have also adopted some rules for consumer safety about this. So there that, that would require testing for things like heavy metals, lead, mercury, arsenic, uh, cadmium, nickel, those kinds of things that can have lasting damaging effects, especially through accumulated uh, exposure to those things. Um, and enough, uh, other things that are, that are on the contaminant side, you're talking about microbial growth, whether it's mold or aspergillus or, uh, or, or you know, E. coli, you know the things that the things that you hear about where there's a meat a recall of meat because it was tampered with you know with E. coli. Uh, you don't want that in, going into your lungs either, even if you're killing it and smoking it. And what those grow, what those microbes can grow, even if they're dead, they don't they're not growing and they're active on the plant anymore. Uh, they can leave behind toxins called mycotoxins um, or microbial toxins uh, that that can also have a very deleterious effect on your health and you don't want those in going into your body either or on your body. Um, other things like pesticides, certain pesticides can leave, can, can have a very bad effect on the body. And same thing with, with the, the solvents that are used in the production of some of these compounds and some of these, some of these uh, products. So we test for those as well. Um, we also test for terpenes, which are like the things that add the flavor and smell and, and may have some therapeutic effects to them as well. So that's what we test for. We pretty much exclusively test with businesses. Um, you know, if, if somebody buys a $100 bottle of 1,000 milligram CBD tincture, are they going to spend another three to four to $500 testing it for contaminants? just to make sure that one bottle is. No, that's on the manufacturer. Um, and some states require that, some don't for hemp. Um, almost every 
medicinal and recreational state has safety testing built into the regulations that they have for, for the marijuana market. So that's mandatory on, on most of those. So if you did find a contaminant and you share this with one of the companies that um, hires you for uh, that information and you share that information with them, are they required to share it with the public or what, what sort of, what sort of steps are there? Uh, for the cannabis market in general, yes and no. For hemp, some states would be, re that, that reporting is required. Most states, not at all. For marijuana, there is a database that is used by most states and that for all states that have med medical or, uh, or, or adult use marijuana that is reported data on those. So that, that does end up being available to the consumer. But for hemp and CBD products, most states do not require that level of reporting, nor do they require that testing. So we give those results to, we, you know, we give those test results back to the, to the company that, that hires us to do the testing for them. Uh, and they do with it as they please. There's no, we, we, we are not required to report that information in most states and they are not required to report that information in most states. And unfortunately in most states, even if they, let's say that there's elevated levels of mercury in, in their product, they can still put it on the shelf. So how, is there any way for the consumer to be protected? There is, and that's for consumers to be aware and to ask the right questions. Um, in the industry, there's something known as a COA. It's actually not just our industry, it means certificate of analysis. A consumer in a, going into the gas station to go and pick up CBD, they're not gonna be able to find that COA unless there's a label on the bottle or on the on the packaging that, that has a QR code that shows that COA. But just having a COA, that, that analysis report, doesn't mean anything if you don't know how to read it. And it also doesn't mean anything if it's only testing for one thing. So as I said, all states require testing of the potency, how much CBD and THC is in, actually only the amount of THC. That's the only thing that's required in most states. Um, for labeling, you need to accurately label. So if you're saying that it's a thousand milligrams of CBD in your tincture, you should have really close, within a margin of error, to a thousand milligrams of CBD in that tincture. Um, the consumer can look at that that lab analysis and say, Oh yeah, no that that actually measures up. This this is what they say it is. But if that lab analysis doesn't include any of those safety tests, any of those contaminant tests, then that's suspicious. I mean, not to me. I I know a number of companies that are doing things the right way that just don't publish those results. But as a consumer, if you want to know that information, you can demand it. And that's that's the way you can be you can be protected. So my recommendation is not to go to the gas station to pick up your product. Uh, but to go to a reputable retailer of said products, because they're probably going to have a little bit more of a rigorous approach to the products that they're putting in their shelves and they're vetting them a little more thoroughly um, than, say, a gas station would. Large retailers are doing this as well. So, for example, a great example right now would be Sephora. This is a cosmetics company. This is a cosmetics retailer. They said, if you want CBD in your products and you want them on our shelves you have to test for these contaminants. And they put the list of contaminants out there for anybody who wants to put CBD products on, on their shelves in Sephora. So you know, if you go to Sephora and pick up, and I'm not endorsing Sephora, I'm just saying this was what their policy was. 
other companies have similar policies as well and are adopting similar policies. I'm just using them as an example. But you, that way, you know, if you're going to a reputable retailer, you can have some reasonable assurance that there's some vetting process that goes on as far as getting products that are at least tested for human safety on some level. And you can ask, go to your retailer, ask them, are these products safety tested? Is there um, a federal organization that um, is becoming involved with this industry or that you think should become involved with this industry? <laughs> uh, boy, am I treading on some thin ice with that kind of that question. Good one. I, I, I did tell you to, to throw some curveballs at me. Um, so <laughs> it's a good one. Uh, so here's an issue that's going on right now with the agencies. Already, the USDA is involved in the production of hemp. USDA does not touch the production of marijuana. That is not in their purview. It is not federally legal still. Individual states, no problem. States' rights and all that. Um, and that's kind of the federalism that kind of governs over the, the whole thing that's going on. But uh, USDA doesn't touch marijuana. They will. They have a heavy hand in what's going on as far as hemp cultivation. So they're one agency that already has a, a significant amount of regulatory control. The FDA regulates which drugs can and cannot be approved for use. And also they also um, regulate the nutraceuticals and the supplements market, as well as food products. Yeah, and the FDA has their own rules that they've already imposed on the CBD and hemp industry. Again, the they have some oversight on marijuana only in the aspect that Marinol, which is a synthetic THC, is an approved drug by the FDA. Same thing with cannabidiol, uh, which is CBD, um, and there's a, an approved drug for that called Epidiolex. So those are both FDA-approved medications. As for CBD usage in normal products, they've come out against putting CBD in foods. They've put it. They've come out against it as an as an additive. But there's some legislation that's uh, in Congress right now that would enforce that would force the the FDA to treat CBD and hemp as a, as an uh, I believe it was a nutraceutical or a supplement. So they would have to come up with some kind of regulatory oversight um, on that. And they have not as of yet. The USDA says, hey, once it's out of the ground and it's harvested, it's out of our hands. We're done with it. The FDA would then have to take up the call on that. Then you have the DEA. And the DEA still lists THC as a Schedule One controlled substance. Up until very recently, um, what is it? Fentanyl was listed as schedule two. Schedule one is the highest level, meaning that it's the least safe and has no medicinal value whatsoever, which we all know is false when it comes to THC. Uh, there's a ton of clinical evidence to show otherwise. Uh, and while fentanyl does have some therapeutic use, it's an incredibly dangerous substance and kills people, whereas THC does not kill people. Uh, that we know of, directly at least. Um, so the DEA is kind of an interesting component on this. Anyway, now there's three agencies that are regulating this from different aspects. The DEA has oversight, and the DEA is a, is a division of the Department of Justice. So that's part of the DOJ. 
and works at, you know, with the DOJ oversight. So whatever the DOJ decides, essentially the attorney general, the DEA would kind of have to follow suit on some level. And if there's legislation enacted that would say, force the DEA to deschedule THC or marijuana, then the DEA would have to comply. But otherwise the DEA has the oversight and the authority to schedule substances and enforce that. Their enforcement of, of THC has not been as robust as it has been in the past. Um, that's been mostly up to local law enforcement. Um, so federal crimes, as far as federal trafficking of THC um, and marijuana, have, that's been on some decline. But either way, there's, there's also an interesting kind of backlash from these three different agencies controlling this one plant. Because according to some of the international treaties that we're engaged in that regulate marijuana on an international level, those treaties state that only one supervisory organization can have control over this. So the United States is in violation of certain treaties mm -hmm. by having three different organizations trying to govern the same product, the same plan. Um, it's very interesting. It's a very complicated and very complex landscape, and I did a very bad job of explaining it. No, I think you did a great job because, you know, for even though my background's law, you know, I'm that's not an area of specialty for me. And, you know, to know um, all the various um, agencies and I know that on the state side, it also is very complicated um, because, again, every state we were talking before we went online, every state is a little bit different in terms of how they decide what can be um, carried through their state, what can be used in their state. Uh, and I have no doubt that, you know, people on airplanes, you know, flying from one place to another, that probably, you know, you don't think about what rules are you, you know, following or breaking when you, um, when you travel. So uh, from that perspective, uh, for the products that you test, because I know that that's what the primary purpose of your company, even though you have a huge knowledge base, um, can, can these products be transported or, you know, across lines or are they pretty generic? They can be sold anywhere. Most CBD products um, or CBD based products or hemp based products can go across state lines. No problem. Um, most now that states are, granting themselves more authority than others. Um, that one of the big hot items right now in, in the hemp uh, community and the hemp industry is Delta-8 THC. Delta-8 is not Delta-9 THC. And uh, Delta-9 is the original THC that gets everybody high, that everybody knows about. Uh, and that's what's been on the schedule for the DEA for a long time. Well, the DEA just put Delta-8 on their schedule as well, specifically. Um, Delta-8 occurs in such tiny quantities in the plant naturally, the USDA won't touch it. The FDA hasn't come out about it at all, and the DEA said no. Unfortunately, there's also the Farm Bill from 2018, which is what really allowed the robust hemp production that's going on right now. And the Farm Bill says something about how hemp and any derivative, isomer, etc., derived from hemp is legal essentially. So now Delta-8 being made from CBD comes from hemp. That's Delta-8 THC. There's also Delta-10 THC. Now, a number of states have said, no, 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 no. We're banning this. A number of states have already banned it. They've banned Delta-8 and Delta-10 THC. Um, the interesting one was Colorado. 
Colorado banned Delta 8 THC. Colorado has a totally open weed market. Like there's Colorado is the, the one of the, the showboats of the of the of the marijuana industry and they're saying no Delta 8. So state by state, yeah, the rules totally vary. You can go and buy Delta 8 cartridges in the middle of Florida for whatever. You fly into Colorado and you have them technically you're breaking Colorado law. Can these products be shipped across the country? Yes, they can. Um, but companies are getting wise as to like which states you can and cannot ship to. But most CBD products, regular CBD salve or an oil or kinesiology tape or any of those things, yeah, you, they can be made in, you know, it, it can be made in Illinois and shipped out to Arizona, whatever. That that doesn't matter. Um, in fact, the, the Farm Bill states that no state can restrict the transportation of hemp through their state lines. So across state lines. Um, for and for a while, Idaho was trying to do that, and they they got slapped. And they're like, "No, no, no, Idaho, you have to let people travel through your state with hemp. You don't have to let them cultivate it in your state. You can ban that, but um, you have to let them travel. It, it is it is an, it is a fully interstate commerce, and it's a multi billion dollar industry now. How difficult is it to set up a lab like what you have um, for the testing? And what background um, does the lab have to have in order to be um, able to be in that type of business? You know, equipment alone, you're going to spend over a million dollars to do all these tests. Equipment alone, you're going to spend over a million dollars, probably more. Um, so just think about that. At least a million dollars in equipment just to have something that works. Then you've got the consumables. This equipment uses solvents in order to make some of these, uh, you know, in order to properly use the instrumentation. Um, other things like columns and scales, pipettes, all of this stuff, like all, all, all this specialized equipment. So that's thing one. Fume hoods, showers, specialty insulation, you know, like uh, the fire safety cabinet, you know, lock system so that you you can handle the product. Negative eighty freezers, negative eighty Celsius. By by the way, negative eighty and negative forty freezers. High, um, like all of these things. It's a ton of equipment. Knowing how to properly use that takes a significant amount of expertise. And so, there are people with bachelor's degrees who are operating day to day stuff inside the lab as lab techs, but for lab management. You really need somebody with a master's or higher in, in, in some related scientific field. I would not choose a physicist for this. Analytical chemistry, uh, biochemistry, microbiology. Um, the, these are these are the kinds of, of specialties that you'd want running a lab. Um, and um, you know, expertise costs money. Then there's rent, heating, temperature control, air quality control. You know, if you're testing for microbes in an environment that is rich, full of microbes, you know, you've got wood panels on your <laughs> wood beams on your ceiling. Like you really need, you need to create a clean room. You need to like do all these kinds of environmental controls on your systems. Um, yeah, it's expensive. Um, it, it, I would say if you want to start a lab, you need at least $2 million in the bank to get started, just to get started. And the company, I'm circling back, the company that you're with, um, how old is it? They opened, they, they actually officially chartered in 2018. They opened their doors in 2019. And um, how do you normally get clients? 
luck. (laughs) (laughs) I reach out to people, you know, I have conversations like this, um, you know, going out to shows and expos and events and networking with people and uh, talking with clients and getting referrals. And and, uh, there's a number of really great communities of some very knowledgeable and also some maybe not so knowledgeable people (laughs) online, Um, (laughs) on Facebook, on, on LinkedIn, Alignable, has a great cannabis community in it. Um, so social media has been another great avenue. Um, you know, never hurts to pick up the phone and call somebody. That's very true. That's very if true. If you want to work somebody with somebody as a client, like if you're trying to branch out and expand your business and you're not out there networking and trying to meet people and meet people who can connect you with people, that's, that's really important is meet people who can connect you with people. But don't be afraid to pick up the phone. Yeah, you've got a business down the street that you would love to do business with or business across the country that you want to do business with. Call them. What's the worst that can happen? They say no. (laughs) Then you're back to where you began right off the bat. But at least they know who you are now. That's very true. That's very true. I know that that's how we connected. Um, So I want you to uh, share, even though the information will definitely be in the information below for the podcast and as well as the YouTube side. If someone, um, a company, wanted to reach out to you to use you, how would they, um, what's the best way to connect for you or with you? Carrier pigeon. (laughs) (laughs) No, um, we have a website, www.premiumcbdlabs.com. We have a Facebook page. Uh, You can follow us on Twitter, at Premium CBD Labs. We're also on Instagram, at Premium CBD Labs. Uh, you can find us on LinkedIn. We're on Alignable. So you can reach out to us in a, in a number of ways. But yeah, I mean, great start is always the website, premiumcbdlabs.com. We've got a lot of information there. We've done a lot of great analysis of some of the policies that are happening, some great talks at some of the trade shows. You can get a lot of information about what's going on in the industry from us. Um, but yeah, we've got all of our testing capabilities. Our phone number is right there, our email. Reach out to us. We, we love talking to people. 